The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Father Matt Malone, Editor-in-Chief of America Magazine. And I'm Carrie Weber, and each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world gathered by our team at America Magazine. And one of our team joins us here in the studio, uh, Jim Keen, who is a senior editor and uh, in charge of our literary coverage. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Carrie. And in a few minutes, we'll be speaking with Father Paul Mariani, who will be commenting on the future of the church in China. Yes, hello. How are you, Father Paul? Very good, very good. Yeah, it's nice to have you with us. Thank you. Tell me, who am I speaking to right now? This is uh, Matt Malone. I'm oh, the Matt Malone, Chief good. of America. Yes. Of course, I've heard. Yes, <laughs> uh. and um, and I was lately informed myself. And this is um, uh, Carrie Weber, who's our yes, uh, well, executive well, editor, well, and Jim Keen, who I think you know. Uh, how are you? How are you, Father Paul? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I have half my life on the East Coast and half my life on the West Coast. So yeah. here in California, but I grew up in Western Massachusetts. So I think I'm connected to. Uh, all of you there. You're connected all three of us. That's the theme of yeah. today's show? Yeah. <laughs> right. Connectivity. Right, right, right. Well, you know, we. Th- this is, uh, it's wonderful to have you on the cover of America. And uh, this piece on the high stakes for uh, Chinese Catholics, s- such an important piece at such an important time. For our listeners who may not have um, read it, uh, it, let us know, you know, the approach you took to this article and 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 the, the 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 main takeaway you want people to have from it sure so basically you know over the years america's had some great articles on china that i've really benefited from <laughs> so part of it was a sense of a catholic guilt i had been asked some years ago to write an article and i was just about to head off to retreat plus the fact that there was not really a lot going on with china vatican affairs you know for decades maybe you know some percolation here or there and then when this article, I mean, when this provisional agreement came up, I thought, you know, there's a, you know, a lot of articles in the press out there with different takes, but I wanted to do something, and I thought America would be the great venue for it, with some more contextual background and also some historical background. And I think you had mentioned in the last segment something about not to be, you know, reflexively ideological. So what I was looking at was, okay, let's take a step back and what's really at stake. And I said, there's only one way to really write this article is try to look at it from all different angles, you know, so, so uh, there may be something to gain, right? Right. But there's also possibly something that might touch on the very foundation of faith that might be lost. So I just want to try to take maybe a, you know, higher altitude view of the whole thing and uh, see what I came up with. So, you know, for our listeners who may not know, what is what is the situation of the church in China in brief, uh, and and what was this provisional agreement between the Vatican and Beijing about? Right. So basically, you know, most of Catholic life around the world, you know, we had we know there's you know many ups and downs and such, but China's always had kind of been a bracketed situation or has had an asterisk next to it in that. 
you know, you just want to know some basic details about number of believers or who the bishops are. And even like the Vatican website or the Vatican yearbook often couldn't say who the actual bishop was or something like that, which is, which is a real problem, right, for the faithful, like, who are we following here? So there were, you know, we know that Catholic life continued. We know that especially after 1979 and China kind of opened up to the world again, that there was a, there some, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of becoming more normal again. And yet there are these thorny issues that the, the government insisted sort of on having the state um, and the church kind of answer to the state. And, you know, that kind of goes against what it means to be Catholic, a universal worldwide faith. So there were these kind of extreme positions, but then on the ground, it was very gray, right? It seemed that people just kind of continued forward, and some people maybe felt that their bishop was the one to follow, and others felt that, well, he had never been, he never publicly said that he had been uh, legitimized with the Vatican. So you had all these kind of uh, murky situations, a student of mine called it almost like a, a Galapagos Island effect, where they kind of had a little bit, a slightly different liturgical calendar, that they had a bishop's conference, but mixed in the, with the bishop conference could be several bishops who were not recognized by Rome at all. So you had these strange situations. And so on the one hand, maybe outright persecution, but I think, you know, after 79, that kind of, uh, there was still some outright persecution, but it went down a bit. But there was a lot of irregularities. And I think that the hope for this provisional agreement, like they say, is to at least start a dialogue that hopefully will move forward. And Father Paul, do we have a situation now where also there's an attempt to bring all the bishops under the same umbrella, so there's no, there shouldn't be any more confusion about there being two bishops in one diocese or people not knowing who the local ordinary is? Right, so it looks like the Vatican was very, in a sense, generous in the first step is to legitimize these seven. Originally there were eight bishops but legitimize these seven, so it looks like they put their goodwill out there, even though some people would say some of those bishops were kind of questionable or had irregular situations. So the idea is, yes, technically now, I don't think you could say that there is one uh, bishop in China who is not uh, uh, you know, approved by the Pope. So in a sense, it did heal that. On the downside, the question is, it was that... Uh, the way to go was that giving away too much um, and I think in the background of that all is we can't uh, deny the power of you know the Chinese government I've always been told that they're very well informed so in a sense they might um, be listening to this broadcast right? yeah well <laughs> let's hope right <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Mm. Well, it's interesting. It's an interesting situation because it involves both diplomatic and, uh, you know, theological questions. A lot has to be taken into account, and uh, the, it sounds like there are sort of compromises that need to be made. Uh, right. Which, which, uh, but, but the, I'm sure the church is sort of resistant to theologically compromise, right? So, how do they strike that balance? Right. So, like, you know, at least technically, I don't think that there were you know, huge theological issues, because in some ways, I guess, you know, they could be dealt with, but it was more like something like, you know, and I, I pointed this out at the end of, of my article, was, you know, basically, we know the long history of the church and its dealings with the state, right? 
and that for long periods of time, like the French government or the Spanish government, other governments had had a pretty strong power to to appoint bishops. And a lot of it comes down to the the role of the bishop. And then by Vatican II, you can see that they're really pulling away from that, and they're saying we should not give temporal authorities this power over the church. So it seemed to be, you know, rah, rah, Vatican II, great idea, let's move the, you know, the church has its independence, it has its own way of being, it has to have a prophetic stance in the world, right? And I'm sure we'd all agree that's great. And it seems to be, this this seems to be a step backwards in that sense, and for the sake of some kind of dialogue. So I do, that's the kind of neuralgic issue there. I do think that 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 issue is just not going to go away. And, you know, given some of these dark political times, I was starting to read up a bit on the, uh, you know, the Germany in the 1930s, and it was like, oh boy, that you know, the Vatican signs an agreement with uh, basically Germany in 1933, the Concordat, and a week later, you have a euthanasia law passed, and it seemed like the National Socialists never really honored the agreement fully. So I'm wondering, is it that bad? I, I don't know. I'm just saying it's it's helpful to kind of raise these larger his, historical issues, like, uh, you know, the prophetic role of the church. And yes, on the one hand, if we don't do anything, we just will be shut out, right? If we don't have any discussion or dialogue with the Chinese government, we're not going to go anywhere. But on the other hand, it's going to raise these much larger issues, I think, for us and also for the Chinese government. Uh, so, Father Paul, uh, as the title indicates, there are really high stakes here, but there have also been really strong reactions, as Father Malone mentioned prior to the break, uh, among the uh, American intelligentsia here. It's people who feel like this is a great idea and people who feel like this is really problematic. What do you think it is that evokes such a strong uh, reaction from both sides. Right. I think it's just the very nature. And it's funny, it's kind of built a little bit on, um, uh, you know, foundation of sand in that we don't know what the provisional agreement says. It's not been made public and nor does it look like it will be made public. But it seems to be pretty clear that it, the first step was that the Pope would legitimize these seven bishops. And then he invited some to Rome some weeks later. So we, we, know, we know maybe that the core of what's in there but we don't have a document. Um, and so people, I mean, everyone who's commenting on it is just kind of maybe trying to connect certain dots. So basically on the one side, uh, you have Cardinal Zen from from Hong Kong who calls it basically a betrayal, and he had an op-ed piece with the New York Times, at least at least online. I had met with him at, uh, over the summer for breakfast, and, uh, you know, he's very feisty, he's very strong, and he's a strong advocate of, you know, human rights, democracy, and all in Hong Kong, and he he really has a problem with the uh, the nature of the Chinese government with its own people. On the other hand, you have people who who just like to see some movement forward. And you know, even if I think even some Vatican diplomats said, you know, it's not a great deal, but at least it's a step forward, and it's trying to to bring a greater good about. And then in between those, you'll have every other shade of opinion. So uh, I think that's pretty much where we're at. Uh, the other thing I, you know, I, I would say is, just from a more personal point of view, um, in the past sometimes people could get very locked into a situation where, well, are you with the patriotic church or the government church? And in some sense, there was so much gray area that people, even John, Pope John Paul, would say that there's really one church. But then by saying there's just one church, it kind of admits that there's something else going on. The church is sort of divided, I guess. Uh, but I would say that. The situation continues to evolve, 
And even when I was there this summer, I was kind of wondering what some of these things meant in that, you know, in the past, uh, I would definitely just go to the the local parish and some of the priests I might know in, in a certain city. And you'd have to go by, say, just a, a guard or just someone watching, the, minding the front gate, no big deal. But now there are sh- these uh, uh, surveillance cameras everywhere, including inside churches, cafes. There's basically what they say, there's no dark corner. So it kind of changes your whole concept about what this all means. And my sense from the, the people who uh, practice on the ground there in China who are active Catholics they don't talk about it a great deal, but they're very aware that every, you know, it could be, you know, monitoring crime or it could be monitoring something that we would say is a, a human rights abuse, right? Like going to a cafe with some fellow Catholics after mass, right? Well, if they wanted to, they could give you your, your timeline better than, than you knew, right? So that's kind of the reality. So I'm very sympathetic to the situation of anybody, any Catholic believer in China or any person of faith that like, are these security cameras everywhere just monitoring crime or are they watching my every movement and then they'll be used against me should it be decided to? So where did you come down on it? Did you think that this is a good deal? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I Whenever I, I go too strong on one side, I switch over <laughs> to the other. But basically, you know, I really do believe there has to be some movement forward. But I think reflexively... I just felt very uneasy that the first steps that the the seemed to be so strong to legitimize these seven, and I don't know what the Vatican really got in return. So I think we have to keep dialogue open, and I think that's I think the the Vatican does this all the time, right? State to state situations, but this seemed to be giving a lot of power over to the. Chinese government. So what would I, you have hoped that they could have gotten in return, or what do you hope they might still get in return? Well, I think that maybe the Vatican's hoping at some point, you know, maybe the Pope could visit China or or uh, regularize, you know, some of these smaller situations. And and in fact, the church was growing for some time. I think it's more at a level uh, level um, equilibrium now. So there were hopes that you know this is a you know the, the hope what has always been that maybe you know, the church could grow in China and we can't just stay stuck. Uh, so I think there's a lot of hopes for that. But I also know that we're seeing this with other deals. Even the Atlantic had an article recently, they had talked to me, but they were looking, they, their context was where China has reneged a lot of its deals over the year, and they were possibly looking at this as one possibility. So I just don't know. I mean, I would expect the Chinese government to give as little as possible but on the other hand, if you don't dialogue, where do you go? So I'm, I'm kind of in the messy middle on this, but maybe a little bit more on the side. Of course, I, I didn't write a book called, you know, Catholic Resistance for Nothing. I kind of, I do kind of have a very romantic or strong sense of the fidelity of Catholics for those decades, and then realizing that this might be a some, somewhat changed situation. And basically, I think it is, let's go eyes open, you know, let's not fool ourselves. So we may need to move forward on this. But let's do it, you know, with a steady breath and eyes open. The only thing I really react to is sometimes when we get into the same language again and you hear it in different quarters, well, this was strictly a pastoral decision and not a political one. Of right. course it's political as well. Of course right. it is, right. Right? right? I mean, so that that's the, that's the big thing I do react again is once we if we if we tell our side uh, if we tell these stories to ourselves that are not yeah. really true, that doesn't help. In but fact, I say, in, eyes in, open. 
in fact, in this in the in the story that you wrote, you actually um, quote uh, the director of the Holy See press office, uh, yes. who says, uh, "quote The objective of the accord is not political but pastoral, allowing right. the faithful to have bishops that are in communion with Rome, but at the same time recognized by the Chinese authorities." I mean, the very last phrase indicates that it is political, right? Right. Um, it, it, he almost contradicted himself. And, right. right. And, <laughs> and, and Father Paul has another line. He says, you don't let a diplomat sell out a prophet. You know, right. you work on a political level, but you also have to be aware that there is a long history of faithful Catholicism in China that lived without this. And it's going to be interesting to see how this moves forward. Yeah. How do, how do the people on the ground feel? Is there a sense of, of betrayal or of excitement or of hope? You know, I hesitate to say too clearly because, you know, you know, when you're inside China, you see just some normal church functioning. So, for example, you know, I I went out uh, to some of the more suburban areas of Shanghai, and these are some old fishing villages, and you see, like, summer camps. So on the one hand, China says uh, they're, they're really cracking down on people under 18 going on to uh, really uh, have religious instruction, and yet they're still having these camps. However, on the other hand, I also know that if they're too public about it, they're, they're – uh, blogosphere is pretty strong there you know there might be people chiming in and and red flagging that so it's kind of a very mixed reality but i think that um overall you know there's just a feeling that um you know they have a great faith they're faithful to it there's even new conversions among the you know um professional classes and yet there's also a feeling of a soft persecution meaning we're, we're a minority in our own country and and we're being, you know, watched, and you know, so there's that that kind of feeling as well. It's just kind of a, a, a bit of a downer for them. But I think there's also a feeling of hope that uh, they know exactly what they're doing, practicing their faith. It gives them great strength in uh, in their lives. So that was that for me was very hopeful to see. And I think, as you said earlier, you know, um, I think the other thing besides having our eyes wide open is just to take a deep breath because. They really, this whole thing touches on some very deep issues, like you say, the pastoral versus, I mean, the prophetic versus the diplomatic. And I think we need both, but it's just very important to say, you know, some of these things may not be fully resolved ever. It's just the nature of, you know, living in the world or living right. between church, church and state. It's just these issues come again up, up again in history time and time again. So just to be as well-informed as we can be to uh, pray for the church in China, and then realize the great possibilities, but also realize we're not at the end of the day we're not going to have some of these uh, questions fully answered. Hmm. So, what do you think um, we should be looking for uh, in the in in the future over the next several months, next few years? I mean, will should we? Do you think that there will be additional steps taken? Could we potentially have a, a, a ambassadors exchange between Beijing and Rome? Um, I think uh, they were very clear. I think it's, if I keep up with this stuff, the new uh, Andrea Tornelli, right, the new Vatican, uh, what is, he's, in, he's the editorial the, director, yeah, for the editorial. Vatican Communications. <laughs> okay, so he, he says, uh, you know, a lengthy and thoughtful institutional dialogue, that there there's a longstanding commitment. So I would think perhaps the first thing we'll see is maybe just small incremental things like you can't just legitimize these bishops and have them floating out there, right? The canon law is pretty clear about that. They need to be tied down to, uh, not tied down, but they have to have a diocese. They can't just be, you know, like back in the old days, they can't just be living in Paris and, you know, <laughs> neglecting the pastoral duties in the, in the mountains, right? Right. So, 
so they they've carved out a few areas where the where these uh, legitimized bishops will be uh, have their diocese. So that's another small step. And I think what we may see, whatever's been made public, will maybe be some small steps on diocesan boundaries, on maybe they'll try to regularize these underground bishops, etc. So little steps, I think. And then at some point, there could be some bigger moves, but it could go either way. Like it could be, you know, maybe there could be a Vatican ambassador, which there was in the past. Maybe you know, I think the Pope would. I, I would think that the Pope would like to visit China. It eluded, you know, his predecessor, so that might be a big win, so to speak. But, or on the other hand, it's also a time of mounting, mounting um, constriction in China. So we could also see. We don't know what to make about that. Maybe uh, uh, Catholics will be left alone, but we know that there's other religious minorities in China right now where the pressure is being kind of uh, cooked up a bit. So it could go either way, but I think incremental at first. And then maybe something larger down the down the road. Father Paul, you know, uh, you mentioned that the church is sort of stabilizing in a sense in terms of its growth, whereas in the past maybe it was growing. Christianity, in terms of non-denominational Christianity, is still growing fairly rapidly in the, in the in China. Yes. Yes, yes, and I think even America had an article there not long ago by Ian Johnson, and you know I'd always thought that Catholicism was continuing to grow, but then in the last few years. People have pointed out, like, there were some strong rural areas, but as people move into the cities, they might lose touch with their faith. So that, that you know, it's always hard to admit, right? But it, but I think we have to have our eyes open with this, too. So the Catholic growth may have leveled. And I think that Protestant evangelical growth, they show, is growing. Now, some people have these wild estimates, which, of right. course, gets the government very excited and that it's counterproductive. I think those wild estimates are too high, but there has definitely uh, been uh, definitely growth of evangelical uh, Christianity in China. My only frustration is that, you know, I, I know about it, I read about it, and I see it to some extent if I'm in China, but I don't see it to the extent that, like, one of every 10 persons walking down the street is you know, a die in the wool, you know, very fervent evangelical Christian. You, you see what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. I see the reality of, I see a very secular reality, but but then I also see um, glimmers here or there. Oh, that's that's a, obviously a church, and, and that's 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 going on. So sometimes what they do is they take areas that have a high um, evangelical percentage, and then they project that to the rest of the country. But, yes, it's it's documented that there is definitely a growth of evangelical Christianity. In fact, I've, well, I was talking to two people this um, this summer. One is a priest and one is a professor in Shanghai, and both of them had come to the Catholic Church through Protestant Christianity. I just thought that was interesting. So it's still a very gray area. Yeah, they had uh, maybe through re- maybe the first contact was through a very fervent Bible study and strong believers, and then maybe they kept uh, digging deeper and, and asking more questions. And that those are the stories they told me. So. Um, I'm sure it works in both directions, but, yeah. but there's a lot of ferment. And even walking down the streets in some areas in China, you'll you'll hear people talking about religion. So it's it's kind of irrepressible and fun. So there's these these grand movements on the on the world stage, but then also in the grassroots, there is both a very secular reality, yeah. and then there's also a very religious where people are just very happy to talk about it with their with their neighbors or other people. And in that sense, it's not entirely unlike uh, every place else. Uh, right. The piece is called "The Extremely High Stakes of the China Vatican Deal." You can find it at americamagazine.org forward slash serious. 
Um, and uh, you can also find it in the print edition of America. It is our cover story for this week. Uh, Father Paul, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Pleasure. That story never ceases to amaze and confuse me. (laughs) You know, I I remember someone saying once is that at the time of some of the worst repression uh, of the church, the Chinese still had a huge tomb honoring Matteo Ricci. Yeah. The, the, the Jesuit missionary exactly. to China. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I often wonder what would have happened if they had allowed the Jesuits to stay in China. Um, yeah. Maybe we'd be having a it's different conversation. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, any story that includes the year 1685 has a lot of facts <laughs> yeah. that you have to weigh. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed it does. It was also a Jesuit, I think, who um, negotiated the treaty between uh, Russia and China for its northern border, uh, as I recall. That is a strange fact to know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and this is where we this is where we uh, make make them known <laughs> here on America this week, which you have been listening to on uh, uh, the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM one twenty nine. For uh, for the all of the articles that we've been talking about today, you can read them in the latest issue of America, or you can go online to americamagazine.org forward slash Sirius. And to subscribe to America, call one eight hundred six two seven nine five three three. That's 1-800-627-9533 for a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. For Kerry Weber and Jim Keen, I'm Father Matt Malone. Thank you and good day. You're listening to The Catholic Channel. Sirius XM 129.